Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Murray Williams. In the program this week, the All Blacks are looking to make it two from two in their Grand Slam Tour when they play Scotland. We'll hear from both camps and also from a rookie Super 15 coach. The New Zealand Breakers have a tough weekend on the road playing the 36ers in Adelaide before heading for Perth and I'll talk to their point guard CJ Bruton. And we'll also hear from another veteran sportsman, New Zealand's popular V8 supercar driver Greg Murphy, who's looking for a new drive in Australia where the Kiwis are playing the Kangaroos in Rugby League's Four Nations final. To rugby first though, and while New Zealand's never lost to Scotland, it seems the All Blacks are taking the Scots more seriously than they have on recent tours when they fielded almost a new side. The Scots are sounding and looking more confident, and the All Blacks are starting with the core of the team which beat England at Twickenham. Sonny Bill Williams made his debut there at centre and will play second five at Edinburgh, where one of his opponents is a former teammate at Toulon in France. Right-wing Rory Lamont says he prefers to see Williams with more time and space at centre where he can be a devastating runner. But, he says, his personal knowledge of the league convert hasn't added much to Scotland's preparations. To be honest, I don't think I brought anything more than what the guys had already seen. You can you can, you see from that one game against England that he's going to create sky, <laughs> try scoring opportunities um, from his, his offloads. He's probably the best offloader I've ever seen and but he's not just got that he's 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 obviously got the size the strength and the pace and he's he's got the skills so but we, we know we're gonna have to uh, be defensively at our best to, to deal with him. Rory Lamont says the All Black three quarters have been the benchmark for wing play for as long as he can remember and that includes the man he'll mark at Murrayfield. I've played against uh, Jose Gear before in the 2006 Churchill Cup with us with Scotland A, and I remember coming off the pitch just thinking, "Who, who is this guy?" He was sensational that game, and uh, tore, tore us to pieces. So I know how how good these guys are, and um, I know that I'm going to have to be at my best at the weekend to be able to deal with them. The match will also see the all-black captain and open side flanker Richie McCaw and the fullback Mills Mulyaina equal the former skipper Sean Fitzpatrick's test record and the halfback Jimmy Cowan says it's a massive achievement for them. 92 tests, jeez, uh, I've played 40-something and I think that's a great milestone to get to double that. Uh, amazing feat. But I remember when I first got named in the squad and, and, and you know I was a pretty nervous young fellow coming into, into the team and you know, Millsy took me under his wing and uh, made sure I was all right and took me out for tees and made me feel real, real comfortable. And, and I'll never forget that. That's the kind of guy he is, along with Richie too. A really good people. A lot of stuff you, you guys don't see is, is what they do around the team in an off-field sense. Very caring guys and make it a very family environment. So I can't speak more highly of the both of them and I hope they go well on Saturday. 
That's Jimmy Cowan at the closest the Scots have come in 27 tests against the All Blacks. Two draws, scoreless in 1964 and 25-all, also at Murrayfield in 1983. This is Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. And still with rugby, the Super 15 squads have been named with their rosters rising to 32 players for the expanded competition, which will feature a new top six finals format. The Highlanders have again brought in the most new players with nine Super Rugby novices and 13 from outside the Otago Southland region. The Blues and Chiefs appear the most settled with two and four newcomers respectively, while the Crusaders and Hurricanes each have seven. The Hurricanes' new coach, Mark Hammett, takes over a super side for the first time and he's the youngest and least experienced of the coaches. He served his coaching apprenticeship with the Crusaders, though, and told Richard Wayne he hasn't moved north to have the Hurricanes blown away in the playoffs again. I want to win it, but quite simply is you need to think about your performances week by week, and that's really all you can do because the other things that actually get you to that position where you actually get to contest for finals footy, you know, and, and, and so yes, yeah, we want to get to that end spot, but we need to work back and go, what's going to get us here, you know, and there's a lot of planning that's had to go into that, there's obviously 16 more games, but then it's only three more games than, than what we've had, we've got an extra bye, so that's good, we've got a bye third round and, and 14th round, we've got an Africa trip early April, and so all of those are exciting, but the new features within the competition I suppose you probably have to do a bit more clumping or, or perhaps theming within the season you know to um, to get through it there's obviously um, World Cup year so there's going to be challenges around looking after our, um, our All Blacks you know we've committed to, to probably give them two weeks out but then that means we've still got them for 14 of the 16 weeks so I think it's a really positive thing and as it is that's normally how you look after those blokes anyway so I don't see it affecting our competition at all. I think that's going to be nothing really different from what's been. And I thought on the local derby much. thing with the um, with the new fixtures, fixture list playing home and away against the local teams in the in the uh, what they call conferences. What, what, how do you think that'll work out? Mate, I think it's blooming exciting actually. I, I know every time I see it, I smile because I know you know sometimes things come out of a game. You know, I remember I remember a game where. Maybe I should make it fictitious rather, but but imagine something happens and in some and some prop tries to strangle someone, <laughs> and, and the other team's all upset about it, and then they're going down to play that game. You know, a few weeks later, you know, or four weeks, you know, and they bring it up, and 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 it, it's not our job. You know, we'll just be focusing on performance. But you can imagine the media sucking it up, the fans getting a yeah, man, we can't wait till those guys get down here. Remember what happened, or it was such a tight game, or that ref didn't make a very good call. You know, and, and we should have won. You know, I could be so I think. That side of it is actually really, really exciting. I think home and away is the only way to go with any code of football, frankly. I mean, I'm a football player, but I'm a Hurricanes yeah, fan, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. I can't wait to see you guys take on Canterbury, you know, Crusaders yeah. at home as well as in, you know, 26 of Feb, mate. Yeah. She's all gay. That's the Hurricanes' new coach, Mark Hammett, talking to Richard Wayne. Next year, there'll be three conferences with home and away games for the New Zealand teams, along with four of the five teams from each of the other conferences. The competition starts on February the 18th when the Hurricanes host the Highlanders. This is Extra Time, and after last week's rugby league rout in Auckland, the Kiwis' pride is very much on the line in the Four Nations final. They'd already qualified when they played Australia at Eden Park, where some fans were behaving badly before the delayed kickoff at the revamped stadium. 
Things got worse quickly as the Australians took control early, exploiting defensive lapses, especially on the Kiwis' left, to win 34-20, scoring six smart tries, with two of the Kiwis' three coming late when Benji Marshall sparked a revival. That was never going to be enough to close the gap or stop the boorish bottle-throwing and mindless Mexican waves. However, after three seasons at the Warriors, the Australian centre, Brent Tate, says he's learned that the Kiwis consider Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane a home away from home. Tate says that means the Kangaroos are more than wary of a backlash, as the Kiwis have fond memories of Suncorp, especially after their surprise World Cup final win there two years ago. The Kiwis forward, Jeremy Smith, says the World Cup success isn't being talked about, though. That happened two years ago now, so uh, you know we're, we're moving on. We've got a, f- a few young blokes here, and um, the more the more games we play under pressure, you know, the more experience they get from it. But, you know, everyone likes playing in the big big matches, and it's no different this weekend. It's the last game of the year, so um, you know we'll be looking to put in a, a big performance. Jeremy Smith says that'll make Australia extra cautious. To basketball now, and the New Zealand Breakers have started the Australian League season with four wins in a row, a first for the club and ten in a row when last season's late run of six wins is counted. The Australian game is also a big one for CJ, Kelvin Jr. Bruton, who's about to play his 400th game in the NBL and become the 40th player in the league's history to achieve that milestone. The 34-year-old's in his 14th season and third at the Breakers after making his debut in 1994 for the Perth Wildcats, moving to Auckland in 2008 after the Brisbane Bullets went broke. With Tony Ronaldson's retirement last season, Bruton's the only player left in the league whose career goes back to 1994, and he told me it's hard to believe it's been that long. It's been fun. I've had had a lot of ups and a lot of downs, um, as you do in sports, but um, I've matured through all this and seen a lot of players come and go and I've got a lot of respect for some of the guys that I've played with and played against over the time. Uh, Some have been Hall of Famers, some haven't. Uh, But again, I've learnt the most special bond is, you know, with your teammates and obviously competing and trying to to be successful and be the best you can be every day. And 400 games seems a lot, but uh, I think travelling around the world and playing against the best players in the world, uh, it's just been... An honour. Any particular moments that stand out, or is that just too many? Uh, I think, obviously, my first game uh, playing for the Wildcats. Uh, my first shot in the M- NBL was three-quarter court uh, off the backboard. Uh, something I always remember. I think uh, hitting my first couple shots and playing my first few minutes, getting my first start, uh, stepping my game up to being most improved player uh, to. Uh, playing on struggling teams to just compete to to make the playoffs and going through the grind when people saying you're just a scorer like you know he can't lead a team to a championship and then being able to play on teams that are talented all across the board and be able to to prove that I can not only lead a team but keep a team there for a while and uh, it's it's been special Uh, having a few championships and playing with a lot of MVPs it's it's something that um, I've cherished but as I said you know over this, the friendships that I've built and obviously my family uh, being through thick and thin and my dad being the Hall of Fame uh, player he is and the respect that he has throughout this league and just trying to follow his footsteps. Any particular players that uh, spring to mind as, a, as great opponents? Tony Ronaldson, for example, who's just left here? Yeah, Bear always gets a mention. He's you know one of those guys that when you've played that many games and been that productive on and off the floor and representing the country, it's been special. Uh, guys like him, Andrew Gaze, I guess Shane Hill, you can't go past those three in Australian basketball. 
American wise, I got naturalized. Ricky Grace and Derek Rucker, who Leroy Loggins, I got to play with him when he was 41, uh, and he was still doing the same stuff he was doing when he was playing with my dad. So, you know, to see that at a time frame where I thought, you know, he, I know he's old, but we should be able to stop him. We, we're like half his age, but we couldn't do it. And he proved time and time again that you know this is how you do it on a daily basis. And if you're great at your craft, you can have longevity and. Obviously blessed with no injuries, but um, overall guys like that have proven time and time again. Players like Ebi Arath, who I played with in, in Brisbane, Matt Nielsen, you know, Boomer's captain, uh, to play with him was a special time. I remember Ebi Arath having a really big game here a couple of years ago. So. <laughs> yes, he, uh, he's had a few big games against uh, the Breakers, and obviously I was on the other side of that too, so I was quite happy with the win and the way that he played and our team, but um, yeah, he's a... Uh, He's in the lead of his own, I think. There's, there's probably D-Mac, another guy who's you know, finished on a championship. I, uh, my second game was against him. And you know him to be the star and the player he was for Australian basketball was, was pretty amazing. Now, your 400s in uh, Adelaide Friday night, you're 4 from 4 and 10 from 10 if you count last year's late run. <laughs> so how much pressure does, does that put on you? And, and what are the strengths you see in Adelaide? I mean, they seem to have a pretty good defensive record, for example. Uh, they got a great team. But, you know, they've they've put a, in place a, a great coach, uh, great staff, and obviously trying to draw fans back there is important. They have a pretty good home record, and obviously what's happened in the past is the past. But hey, they're a force to be reckoned with every time you walk into that building. And like most teams, when you're at home, you feel a lot more comfortable than you do on the road. As for, I don't look at it as ten games, and it's, it is four games for us. We've, we've got a few new pieces here. Uh, some of those guys weren't a part of it, but again, it's it's encouraging. But we know that it's it doesn't stop there. There's a lot of work ahead. Obviously, uh, Kirk won't be with us on the on the weekend, and we look we look at it as a, another challenge. Um, but as a group that goes away is a, the group that bonds, and I think uh, we know what's expected of us from the coaching staff, and I think we'll be able to come through. Yeah, it must be nice to be able to take off on a double header road trip without <laughs> Kirk knowing that he doesn't leave as big a hole as he might have done last year. Definitely everyone's uh, stepped their game up and, and improved uh, across the board. Uh, everyone has uh, ownership of this team and I think everyone displays that on the floor every time they step on it. CJ Bruton's father, Cal Senior, played 250 games and also coached in 14 seasons. They're the first father-son combination to each win NBL championships as players. Motorsport now and the four-time Bathurst winner Greg Murphy won't be taking up the second-year option of his contract with the V8 supercar team Paul Morris Motorsport. The 38-year-old New Zealanders had a disappointing year after confirming the switch to the Holden team at the end of last year and he's currently 22nd in the championship. The veteran driver's future is uncertain, although a possible role as a part-time co-driver in the season's endurance races may be his lot. He spoke with Stephen Hewson about what the future might hold. With Castrol deciding not to continue, it may be quite difficult for Paul Morris to find you know, suitable funding that um, works for him and works for me. It has been a very tough year and and hasn't gone the way we wanted to, so Castrol moving along is probably a bit of a drawing a line in the sand for me as well. You're not retiring? Don't like that word. How many years straight have you been on on the circuit? Because, I mean, this obviously leaves you without a, a full-time drive. Yeah, at the moment it does. There's not much available out there and uh, in respect of good drives that I'd be comfortable being in so um, we just have to weigh up what happens in the next few weeks and it is getting a lot tougher in the championship a lot tougher and you've got to be in the right seat uh, with the 
all the pieces of the puzzle, which I thought we had at the beginning of this year. Clearly, that didn't play out the way we'd planned. So it's getting a lot harder to run at the front of the field, and that's really all I, the only place I want to be. I don't want to go through another season like we've had this year. So it's just the way it is, and if, if there isn't the right drive full-time out there, well, then so be it. It's, it's the unfortunate realities of this sport. You're not simply going to take something because it's a full-time drive? No. I think I've paid my dues in respect to what I deserve to be in and, and you know, I, I make a living out of this is what I do so if I'm not going to get uh, paid accordingly to to do the job I know I can do at the right place well then, you know, there's no point in just uh, taking something for the for the sake of taking it and, and uh, making up the numbers. I've done that for the last few years and I don't enjoy it that much. 95, 96 I was uh, an endurance driver with HRT and then 97 was my first full-time year. 98, I wasn't again full-time. So since 99, I've been, um, again, racing in the championship full-time. Does the prospect of not having a full-time drive and doing the endurance races leave you a little concerned, or do you look at it as an opportunity to maybe do a few other events in Europe or something as well? Well, that'd be nice to do that, but I think, unfortunately, in Europe, they've got a similar problem to what we've got here. You know, there's, there's a lot of race car drivers unemployed that don't have regular... Years. So there's a bit of a glutton of um, drivers around the place who are probably find themselves in a similar position. But listen, there's, there's other things to do. Uh, I'm, I'm not panicking just yet, but you know it's disappointing that it's come to this. To be honest, that um, at this stage there's not a lot on the table. But you know there's a few things around the around the traps that we're working on, and we'll see what crops up. At 38, you'd uh, you'd certainly got a few more years left in you yet. Well, I appreciate that. I think so too. It's not ideal. That's what I'm saying. I'm certainly not using the R word yet because I don't believe that I've done enough personally but it does prove you've got to have everything going for you in this championship is so competitive and there's a few teams that are just standouts at the moment with you know with the right amount of money that they're spending and and the size of their operation which allows them to tick all the boxes every single time the cars are on the track and and that's how critical it is you need to have that kind of environment around you to to be competitive uh, day in day out there are unfortunately those spots they have their drivers and and, you know, they're pretty hard to kick them out and, and replace at the moment. Is there a bigger gap between the, the rich and poor from the late 90s to now? I think, you know, just with the way, uh, the, the, the competitiveness of the, of the field, the availability of the equipment that's out there now for, for anyone to go and, and uh, get hold of, the gaps are a lot smaller qualifying now, uh, 25 cars within a second, and we're off to Tasmania this week, and I'm picking that probably just, just about the entire field uh, will qualify within a second um, down there. And I mean, that's how critical and how tight it is. Whereas 10 years ago, the spread was probably three seconds. If you, you uh, just outside the top 10, you were probably well over a second off the pace. So that's the big change. You've mentioned that you're not, you're not talking about the, the R word, but do, do I get a feeling that you feel there's a move by teams to simply look at younger drivers or write older drivers off? Not necessarily. I just I think uh, there's a lot of wealthy families buying up a lot of franchises for their kids. So that's that's another example of of something that is taking away opportunities for drivers who are, have made a career and who have managed to to get there on merit, not for bringing money to the table. And that's that's a reality of the sport around the world, and it's it's come on here in Australia a lot faster and and, and, and bigger numbers than what I thought would happen just recently. So that's reduced opportunities because obviously when you know, families bought a franchise for a family member, they're not interested in, in putting a, a driver who uh, expects to be paid in the seat. 
So that's reduced the number of chances. And uh, unfortunately, in the last couple of years, I've uh, probably haven't made the right choices that have raised my value. I've unfortunately probably lowered it because we haven't had some good seasons of late. Do you look back and go, this was the sort of turning point? I, if I oh sure, yeah, definitely. There's you know there's some there's some uh, times uh, in the last four or five years which um, you know have certainly shaped my <laughs> shaped my career, and unfortunately not in a good way. You know, I made the decision at the end of 2004 to leave the Kmart Racing Team. And two years later, they won the you know that operation won the V8 Supercar Championship. So that was a critical decision back then. But I was looking to make a change. I've been there four years, and and I made a change, and it wasn't the right one. And that certainly has shaped where I've headed in the last few years. You mentioned about rich families buying the kids a, a racing team. How much bitterness does that create on the circuit? Well, I, I don't think you can be bitter about it. It's just a fact of life. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. The guys that are paying for it, the families that are in there. A lot of these guys have certainly got skills. They're not numb nuts. They're quick and they drive pretty good. You know, they drive well. But they weren't going to get picked on their merits. They've had to buy their way in to get the get the drives. Over time, when they get experience, they do a good job. But it's everywhere. It's not just in V8 supercars. It's in Formula One. It's in WRC. It's on motorbikes. It's everywhere. You know, there's, there's people buying and paying for their rides. Formula One, probably over half the field are paying to be in Formula One, and that's just the realities of the economics of the whole deal. So there's no point in getting bitter about it, it's just a fact of life. In an ideal world, Greg, what would the future hold for you? I mean, a full-time driver to a good V8 team, or would you like to have other opportunities? Presumably Formula One's beyond <laughs> the realms now. Yeah, yeah listen, I'd love to, to go back to Le Mans and do some, do some sports car racing. I think I did that a long, long time ago. It was a fabulous race, and... I'd also like to do ones like the 24 hours of Daytona and stuff like that. But so there's a lot of drivers who, who are very experienced at those events that are probably going to get precedence over uh, over someone like me. But those are things that I'd maybe look at doing and try to chase for sure. And, and there's other things to get involved in. Uh, my dad's race team here, Greg Murphy Racing, is is hopefully going to grow for ne- next year. And if it does that, there's probably a bit of, bit of work to do there if, if I'm not full-time. And, and also I'd like to spend some more time in New Zealand doing some stuff over there with the New Zealand Racing Series and also just continuing a lot of the work that I've been doing with uh, the Motor Trade Association and road safety and uh, for young people, all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's lots of things to do. If, if I'm not full-time, it'll give me some more time to concentrate on some of that stuff. But at this stage, as I say, we'll just, we'll just uh, sit tight and see how things pan out. Stephen Hewson talking to Greg Murphy. And since they mentioned Formula One, for the first time in 60 years, four drivers are still in contention for the championship in the final Grand Prix early Monday morning in Abu Dhabi. The permutations are complicated, with Ferrari's Fernando Alonso leading Mark Webber by eight points, and the other Red Bull driver, Sebastian Vettel, by 15, and McLaren's Lewis Hamilton by 24, with 25 points available for the win. A top-two finish will be enough for Alonso to win a third championship, but Red Bull, who've already won the Constructors' title, have the quickest cars and should front the grid after qualifying. Red Bull's also said there'll be no so-called team orders, and if Alonso's down the field, it'll be all on between Webber and Vettel. Lewis Hamilton's only chance is to win. Hope Alonso gets no points. Webber finishes no higher than sixth, and Vettel no higher than third. So not much hope there of another British win after Jensen Button's last year. That's the show for this week. Feedback's welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. Well, we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Murray Williams. Bye for now. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.